stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Uh, and the Supreme Court of Canada in a decision involving, I believe it's the um Sugasa Nation, or Sunasa Nation, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, K-T-U-N-A-X-A. Uh, and I had the pronunciation done last week, but uh, this is uh, First Nations in British Columbia that was fighting a proposed ski development. Now, and I think on the surface, this seemed like maybe, you know, relevant to, say, pipeline debates, where you've got this conflict between these projects and Aboriginal concerns, and the whole issue of, of Aboriginal consent, et cetera, consultation. And, and that's all relevant here. But what's an important element to this story is the uh, aspect of freedom of religion. This First Nation was against this development because they say it would interfere with their religious practices. They describe this land as sacred to them and crucial to their beliefs. Uh, that the spirit, the spirit they worship resides on this land, and building the development would... Uh, chase him away, I guess. And so the Supreme Court, it was interesting because it was a unanimous decision, but different reasons were being offered. But does freedom of religion in Canada protect just your beliefs or the manner in which you express those beliefs? How does it apply to so-called sacred land? So what are the implications of this decision? Uh, joining us for some thoughts, very pleased to welcome to the program, Derek Ross. He's Executive Director and General Counsel for the Christian Legal Fellowship. Derek, thank you for making some time for us here today. Thanks, Rob. Great to be on the program. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about this. Um, what did you make of that, that whole controversy last week, though, with, with the Governor General, what she said in particular about religion and, and belief in, in divine creation? Well, that's... Uh, and I'm glad you're paying some attention to that story as well, Rob. Um, you know, for me personally, as, as a Christian, as someone that, um, that does happen to believe in, in divine intervention in life, um, you know, when we have our head of state making comments like that, it, it, it isn't an inclusive type of comment. And um, as, as someone that I think is, is there to represent all Canadians, I don't think those, uh, those sorts of... Um, I think those sorts of comments are, are ill-advised, and, and hopefully we see a different tone in, in future speeches. Yeah, I think that would be wise. All right, well, let's talk about the Supreme Court ruling, because I think this is an interesting case. Um, does it suggest that this is a, a curtailing of religious freedom in Canada? What might the implications be, do you think? No, it's a great question. I, I don't think it, it necessarily is a curtailing of, of religious freedom so much as a clarification of its scope. And, um, you know, as, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Rob, what, what the Supreme Court here has said is Section 2A, that's the provision of the Charter that, that protects religious freedom, uh, that, ex- that, that protects our, our freedom to hold beliefs, and it protects our freedom to manifest our beliefs, uh, it, both publicly and privately. And that's an important clarification, well, really a reaffirmation of what the Court has said in the past, but, but wanting to dispel sort of any types of arguments that some were making um, that freedom of religion is primarily a private or individual exercise. The courts made it very clear in this decision that, no, it does protect not just your freedom to hold beliefs, but to express them, to manifest them in public and in private and in individual or with, in community with others. But what the majority said is that it does not protect uh, the object or the focal point of our religious beliefs or exercises. So in other words, the majority has said it protects our freedom to worship, 
uh, but it does not protect, the Charter does not protect what or who we worship. And, and the majority framed the claim of the Tunaha Nation as essentially seeking the state's protection of the object of their beliefs, in this case the grizzly bear spirit, and the majority essentially said the Charter protects the Tunaha's nation to believe in the grizzly spirit and to uh, engage in spiritual exercises related to it, um, but the Charter does not impose a duty on the government to protect the presence of the grizzly bear spirit itself. So, so they concluded that the Charter's guarantee of freedom of religion was not at all engaged in this case. Um, the minority, uh, two judges in the minority, they looked at it a bit differently. Um, they said, you know, this, this isn't about uh, whether the, the government can or should protect the objects of our beliefs um, or, or the spiritual focal points of our worship. It's about whether the government can be allowed to act in a way um, that, that effectively deprives a person's religious beliefs and practices of real meaning. And they said that's what's happening here that the government's decision to approve a ski resort on this sacred land means that all of the Tanaha's um, songs and rituals and, and ceremonies related to the grizzly bear spirit will not have any real meaning. They, they use the term that they would be hollow and, and empty gestures. So the minority concluded that religious freedom was engaged and it was infringed, um, but as we know, religious freedom is not an absolute right. Just because a charter right is infringed doesn't mean it isn't justifiable. And in the end, the, even the minority agreed um, that in some of the, in light of some of the other interests and issues in this case, um, that the infringement was, was ultimately justified. But it's very interesting to see uh, the two, the, the, the way that the majority and the minority framed the question quite differently. Well, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a unique kind of situation because um, we're, we're talking about what's, what's deemed to be a sacred land, a holy site. And I, I, don't know, I don't know that there are many instances in Canada where, where that claim has been made. Now, I do wonder too, Derek, as, as an aside, did, did this address the issue of sincerely held beliefs? Was it necessary for the First Nation to, to try to justify that, no, we really do believe this and this isn't somehow some... Uh, concocted religion to try to block this development. Right. Well, that was there was some question in some of the arguments about the sincerity of belief, and, and ultimately, uh, I believe all three courts that have heard this determined that the beliefs were indeed sincere. Um, so, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a general rule in, in uh, religious freedom cases, a claimant does have to satisfy the court that they, they are sincere in their beliefs. And, and beyond that, the court won't go any further to sort of assess, you know, is the belief reasonable, is it logical? They've, they've strayed very far away from that, and for good reason, because uh, courts are not religious experts, and they really shouldn't be positioning themselves as the arbiters of religious dogma. And that's another mm -hmm. important principle that the majority reaffirmed in this case. But what they did say here, and I believe this is the first time this, that the Supreme Court has commented on this, is that um, the recency of the belief plays no part in the analysis. So whether a belief is ancient or recent or old or new, the Charter protects all sincere religious beliefs. And that was actually one of our arguments, because um, it, it's important to recognize that for all of us, whether we're religious or non-religious, our convictions change over time. And um, even within religion, certain, certain beliefs develop and evolve and mature. And the fact that perhaps you may not have always adhered to a particular belief does not mean automatically that that belief is not protected. What the court looks at is simply whether it's sincere or not, whether it's old or new or recent um, is not uh, going to necessarily 
uh, be the end of your claim. And, and that's an important clarification in my view. All right. So the Supreme Court is not saying that that sacred land should never be protected or that those considerations should never be be a part of, of those conversations. And the B.C. government did attempt, and I think the court believed in to engage in meaningful consultation with with this First Nation uh, and to evolve, involve them in the process. So uh, do we have the clarification then when it comes to so-called sacred land or sacred sites or sacred objects, what kind of protection they're entitled to? No, that's a great question, and and I think um, you know the, the majority's reasons are a bit more um, uh, definitive in the, in that regard, perhaps. But e- even they, I think, leave some room for future claims to be decided differently. Um, what, what's interesting is that the minority in their decision, I mean, they made it very clear. Um, that uh, in future cases, it may be that a, a different claim related to an area of land um, would be successful and, um, and that an infringement would not be justifiable. So, so like all things, like all cases, you know, each case needs to be decided on its specific facts. But, you know, I think certainly for uh, the Tunaha Nation, and I don't purport to speak for them, but right. um, I, I know that uh, from their news release, they are, they are very disappointed in, yeah. in this decision. And um, the concern amongst um, a number of uh, Indigenous communities is that this, this does curtail uh, their freedom of religion as it relates to land. And, um, you know, I think for all of us, whether we agree or disagree with the particular outcome of this decision, um, you know, that should give us some pause and, and hopefully will create some, some further reflection in future cases. All right. And, and so the, your organization had intervened in this case to, to ensure, I guess, that these, these issues were, were addressed. That's right, yes. Uh, I was one of the lawyers for Christian Legal Fellowship and the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, and, and that's exactly right. We, we wanted to ensure that uh, the Tanaha Nation's religious concerns were taken seriously and adequately addressed. I mean, one of the concerns that they had was that the government uh, minister did not specifically address uh, their religious freedom claim under Section 2A of the Charter. And, um, you know, the, ma- the majority did say that he should have done so. And uh, so, again, for, for the um, Tanaha Nation, the outcome uh, obviously um, is, is one that is disappointing for them. Um, but at least there is some affirmation in the decision here that government actors need to take religious freedom concerns very seriously. Right. And it would pertain to Christians. I mean, obviously, if we're talking about Christian holy sites, well, those are, are far away from Canada. But even the, the notion of a church itself, that it's not enough to say you're, you're free to hold your beliefs, and therefore you don't need any churches because your belief is in your mind. Do you need, you need to be able to manifest those beliefs and to practice your beliefs. And so if the government tried to, say, ban the building of churches or, or something extreme along those lines, it's not enough to say that you're entitled to your beliefs and nothing more. Absolutely. And, and I don't think that this case stands for that proposition. I, I think, you know, the, as I said earlier, the, the court made it very clear that freedom of religion is not just freedom to hold beliefs, but to right. manifest them. Um, so, um, you know, it, in the Christian tradition, it's a bit different in that um, certainly um, places of worship, churches, um, would, uh, would, would be very significant to the Christian community. But for, for most Christians, uh, the, the focal point of their worship is not their church, but their God. Um, but I think this sort of underscores um, perhaps some of the challenges um, moving forward in some of these claims is that um, with uh, indigenous spirituality and, and other religious traditions that are not widely understood, you know, is the charter being interpreted as flexibly as it ought to be to, to, to recognize the uniqueness and distinctiveness of other religious uh, 
traditions. And, you know, I think that the minorities Section 2A analysis, um, the way they frame the question, I, I think that's a, a more helpful example. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a number of their comments aren't picked up in, in future decisions. Yeah, well, an interesting case. More at ChristianLegalFellowship.org. Derek, thanks for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Great to be on the program. Thank you, Rob. All right, take care. That's uh, Derek Ross, Executive Director and General Counsel for the Christian Legal Fellowship. So uh, their organization, along with the uh, Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, had intervened in this case uh, because they saw some important legal principles here, that it's not just enough to say freedom of religion allows you to hold your beliefs, but what about the practice of those beliefs? As they point out, the uh, judges in the minority here on this decision which is, is complex because it was a unanimous decision, but you had dissenting reasons around that decision, if that makes sense. Uh, so in the minority, the judges observed, quote, where state conduct renders a person sincerely held religious belief devoid of all religious significance, this infringes a person's right to religious freedom. So that it's not just about the belief that you hold, uh, it's about how that belief is is manifested. So in this case, was the uh, freedom of religion of the Tanaha, is how you pronounce it, the Tanaha Nation in B.C., was their freedom of religion justified? Because they argue that in order for us to practice our religious beliefs, we need this sacred land. The minority emphasized the significance of the land to the Tanaha Nation's spiritual practices and recognized the development of the ski resort would sever their connection to the land and to the grizzly bear spirit. They concluded the government's decision rendered the beliefs and practice devoid of all spiritual significance, and it fell squarely within the scope of and infringed on Section 2A. However, the minority concluded this infringement was justified. The minister's decision not to grant a right to one group to exclude others from the property was reasonable in the circumstances and in light of his statutory mandate. 403-974-8255 is a number. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.